Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Let's pray and we're going to dive in and continue in our series, okay? I'm God, we love you. And as we go to your word, we're going to ask you, uh, as you do faithfully each Sunday, just to teach us something from your word. And God, at the end of the day, at the end of this hour, God, it's my prayer that our hearts are tuned to Jesus and our affections are stirred for Jesus. So, God, we're asking you to do that this morning. So, in your name I pray, amen. So, we're in a series, Redemption Through History. If you're visiting for the first time, we started way back at the beginning of the semester. We started in Genesis and we are going to go all the way actually to the cross. And right now, we are in what's called the exile. We're going to talk about the exile. We don't have time to unpack it all, but I do want to show you something today. So by way of review, uh, or just maybe by introduction, I know Daniel gave us a, uh, a chart of the Bibles in chronolo- chronological order. What I want to introduce to you now is this idea that there are six time divisions in the Old Testament. Okay, Six time divisions. So don't look at these as books of the Bible. Look at them as chunks of time. So there, were the, there was the time of the Genesis, there was the time of the Exodus, and there was the time of the Judges, there were time of the Kings, and there was the time of the Exile, and then the next week I know Daniel's going to be talking about that time of the Return. You can take every book of the Old Testament and they will fall into one of these time periods. Okay, so for example, if you go to your Bible and see Psalms or Proverbs, right, those were written by kings. So those would fall into that time period of the kings. So hopefully that can help you just get a little bit more of a grasp of your Old Testament as you look that all those books fall into the time period, one of these six time periods. Now today we're talking about the exile. That is a time period. And the books of the exile in your Bible would be, if you ever read the book of Daniel, which we're going to be there today, you want to turn your Bibles there if you want. There's a book, Ezekiel, that's also time of the exile. Now, Jeremiah and then Lamentations, which is also called the Lamentations of Jeremiah, uh, not necessarily written or in the time period of the exile, but much of what he wrote predicted the exile and it came true. So we can live and look a lot in Jeremiah to learn about this exile, okay? Now, Exile and the history of this exile. We're going to be a little bit historical on the front end this morning, but you've got to stay with me, okay? Exile, like what is it? When we hear it, when we think about it, uh, we all probably have these different images that come into our mind of how this took place, okay? But what did the exile look like? So the exile is a forced removal of a bulk of the population. So if you had it in your mind the exile was that 100% of the people were like walked out in chains, that's not correct. Okay, just a bulk of the people were taken. Okay, especially the skilled, the upper class, uh, and, and, and like the priest, uh, they took the, the people that really were vital to, to a flourishing of society and they removed them. Okay, and they took them out of their homeland to another country. Now, there was more than one Jewish exile. Okay, Daniel actually touched on this a couple weeks ago. If you weren't here, I, I challenge you to go back and listen to that podcast. And he talked about um, 
the tribes, the 12 tribes, and actually there was a split kingdom, and 10 of those tribes were the northern kingdom, and two of those were the southern kingdom. So we don't want to unpack all that today. But there were waves of exile, okay? The one we're going to specifically talk about today was a 70-year exile. And I want you to think about how much can change in 70 years, okay? I came to Springfield roughly 20 years ago to go to school, and this place has changed drastically from when I came. Imagine how much a place changes in 70 years, okay? So there's going to be a map up here. I want to show you this, okay? Because I don't want us to confuse exile. So the northern kingdom, they were taken away to Assyria. And this happened way before the exile we're going to talk about today. And if you see all those arrows, right, up around Assyria, man, they spread those guys out and they're gone. And here's the deal you got to know about them. They never came back. But the southern kingdom remained. And then a few years later, you had now the southern kingdom and Babylon comes to get them. Okay, so that first wave that you see up top, okay, that's the exile of the northern kingdom. All right, they were carried out by Assyrians. That happened in a couple different phases. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 15, 29. I think we'll go there. I just want to read that to you real quick. I'll give you an account of that exile. Okay, 2 Kings 15, 29. It should be on the screen. But in the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Peleser, king of Assyria, came and captured Ejon, Abel, Bethmachah, Jonah, Kadesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, and all the land of Naphtali. And he carried the people captive to Israel. Okay? Or captive to Assyria, sorry. So that's what you saw on that top map. Okay? Now, like I said earlier, Assyria never allowed any of those tribes to return. Okay? Sometimes if you ever read about the ten lost tribes of Israel, that's what they're talking about. Okay? And why did that happen? We're not going to go and unpack a bunch of this, but quickly, the reason that happened, you can find in Scripture over and over this phrase, okay? And it was that the kings did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The kings of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, okay? Now, go back to that map, and now we're going to talk about the destruction of the southern kingdom, the destruction of the southern kingdom, Judah, okay? Now, the tribes were Judah and Benjamin, but they were, it was called Judah. And this was King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon who came. You can go to 2 Kings 24. 2 Kings 24, I'm going to read that to you real quick. I'll kind of give you an account of what happened there. 2 Kings 24, start in verse 14. He carried away, this is talking about exactly what happened, Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and the smiths, none remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, and the chief men of the land he took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon, and the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, 7,000, and the craftsmen and the metal workers, 
1,000 of them strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Madaniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. Okay, so it wasn't that they just took them to Babylon. They still provided oversight and rule in Babylon. Okay, and then in Jeremiah 52 talks about a bunch of numbers, uh, gives you numbers of the people that left again. I think it'll be on screen. You can read it if you want. And this was kind of that second wave or another wave of exiles. Because you've got to remember, they took them out, right? Well, a lot changes in 70 years. So imagine there are people... Uh, who will rise up in the homeland to lead. Well, Nebuchadnezzar would then go back and say, okay, these people have risen up. I don't want this society to flourish, so we're going to take them out in waves. And that's what happened. Okay? And this is actually that second wave that's talked about in Jeremiah is when Solomon's temple was destroyed. Now, again, why did this happen? Because the kings did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And here's the deal. They had so many warnings, so many warnings of this exile. Jeremiah told them, we talked about prophecy last week, but there were, there were plenty of warnings. Hey, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Ezekiel did some crazy stuff. You could read about that warned the people what was going to happen. And these kings did not listen. And God had had enough. But I want us to know something about the exile moving forward. To be in exile is to suffer. To be in exile is to suffer. So you got these people who now lived in a place that wasn't their home. You should remember that. They were meant for a different land that they had lost. Say it one more time. Actually, I'll say it way more than one more time today, but I'll say it one more time right now. They lived in a place that wasn't their home. They were meant for a different home that they had lost. Listen, there was no economy in the homeland. The people were, were, were just wrecked. You can read Lamentations chapter 4. It's gross what was going on, like boiling babies. Okay, I didn't write it. But I want you to know that exile, to be into exile is to suffer, but to be into exile, it is possible to have joy. And I want to look at that today. Okay, but first we have to talk more. Why did they go into exile? For that is when we dive into the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel was a guy that lived in Babylon, taken out of exile, okay? But simply put, to the why they went into exile. Here it is. You ready? Deep answer. The Lord. That's why they went into exile. Daniel, chapter 1. If you guys want to go there. I'm going to read it. It said, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord, okay, here it is. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Whose hand? Nebuchadnezzar's. Along with some vessels of the house of God. And he, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now listen, again, I got 
to make this point. They had plenty of warnings, like judgment was going to come, but they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They had plenty of warnings. Proverbs, which was written before this, Proverbs 29.1, tells us what happens when, when, when you don't heed warnings. It says, whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. This is what Judah is experiencing. But here's one thing we have to understand. God is sovereign over this exile. He is the one who gave them into the hands of the Babylonians. He was not surprised by the takeover of the Assyrians earlier. He was not surprised by the takeover of the Babylonians. But we have to know this, and this is a point we want to make today is that sin exiles. I want you to think about the first exile in all of human history. We started in the garden, didn't we? Beginning of the semester, it's the first exile in human history. And it was sin that caused Adam and Eve's exile. Now here's the issue. We're born into that. Like, have you ever considered the fact, think about this, have you ever considered that we are exiles? We live in a world that isn't home. And that we were meant for a different home that we have lost. And we lost it through Adam. I think I can make this point. So here's the deal. Some of you in this room, if not all of you, have lost love. Like maybe romantic love, right? And maybe it's as simple as like you got dumped in high school, okay. Um, but some of you like have been through broken marriages and divorce. Some of you have lost love in the form of like family, right? Maybe you became disconnected from a parent in a divorce. But some of you have lost love. Some of you are going to lose love. And many of you live in fear of losing love. Um, let's take it a little further. You're going to die. And I'm going to die. And your babies are going to die. Moms, dads, got all these new little babies, kids. They're going to die. And all my babies, I got four of them here. They're going to die. Smile. Like, what are you doing, Brad? What? Listen, the simple fact that that type of speech makes us uncomfortable is proof that we are not home. Like, I just did all I could to make you uncomfortable, and I believe I probably succeeded with most of you. And it's proof. Like, like why do we all strive to prolong life? Let's not pretend we don't. 
don't we? Like, we don't even like to think about death. We don't like to talk about death. We don't like the implications of death. Right? And I mean, I mean and I'm not talking like unsaved people or people who aren't following the Lord don't like to talk about it. I'm talking about all of us. That's just the reality. Why? Like, why? Why do we want to talk about lost love? Why do we want to talk about death? And I would argue that's because in our, in our original home, Lost love didn't exist. And in our original home, death did not exist. And at the deepest part of us, that's what we were created for. That's what our hearts long for. And all humanity is created for a home that they've lost. Let's go back to the garden. The Garden of Eden. God created this beautiful, awesome place, right? It's perfect. It's peaceful. And the presence of God is their perfect fellowship with the Father. That is the home that we've lost. Now, here's the deal. In our minds, okay, listen. The garden is the home that we lost, and the garden is the home that we long for. But in our minds, here, we do this a lot. We go back, right? And we do things like convincing ourselves of things like called, we call them the good old days, right? We hear that a lot. There's songs written about them. They never were. Like we go make these things up in our mind that we call them the good old days, and they really never were. I would argue that the home that your heart remembers never really matches the home where our mind takes us. The home that your heart remembers never really matches the home where your mind takes us because our mind can only get us back to this mythical good old days, but our heart goes back further. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, here's what he said in Ecclesiastes. He said, talking about God, he has put eternity into the hearts of men. That's you and me. He's put eternity in our hearts. And the home that our heart remembers, the time that we long for, those less stressful days, right? The joy that we look for when we go back to these pretend good old days of old Christmases past, right? They didn't exist, guys. It's the garden. Like it's Eden that we were created for. And we can, we can create great homes, and I hope we do. But we can create like great family traditions, and I hope we do. And we can go on great family vacations. Like I think we're probably going on one in 2018. We can do all that thing. We can relive old Christmas traditions, but they can never fully remedy our homesickness. No matter how hard we try, they can temporarily maybe but we are spiritually homesick. Think about it, guys. Like, we, we do things, especially in the Ozarks. Let's talk about some of the things we do. Like, man, we're Lakers. We go to the lake. We hunt. Or maybe let's talk about vacation. Some of you love to go to the beach. Some of you maybe love to go to the mountains, right? But, like, what is it that we're, what is it that we're wanting when we go to the lake? And it's awesome. I love going to the lake, but think about it. It's like this escape, isn't it? And you go, and it's relaxed, and it's, and it's beautiful, and the water, and this, and that, and the trees, and all that. And then you go, and it's this escape, but then 
you're literally come back and it's like Monday at 8.30, you're longing to be back there. Right? They're just little attempts to get back to where our heart really longs to be. The garden. So what is it? Like what about the garden? What are we trying what are we really trying to get back to? You ever think about that? Like is it is it the like luscious green grass? Is it the, the pristine waters of the lake? Is it the beauty of the mountains? Like what are we really trying to get back to? I would argue the Bible tells us what it is in the garden that we're trying to get back to. If you go to Psalms chapter 90 verse 1 we're trying to get back to this dwelling place, right? Just, just let this sit for a minute. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, like all generations. The Lord is our dwelling place. So my question, maybe to some of you, and this could be someone who's here who hasn't followed Christ today in their life, or maybe to some of you who've followed Christ for 60 years, um, are you here today like empty, and you're, you're longing for something you just can't put your finger on? I just, you just don't know what it is. So you evaluate things like, did I pick the right major? Did I just spend 30 years in a career? Like, did I waste my life doing this? And you got this deep longing and you just can't quite put your finger on, on what it is. I'm here to tell you, I know what it is. And I'm not saying that out of pride or arrogance. I'm telling you, I just, the Bible, going to the Bible, I know what it is. And here's what it is. You are exiled and you are longing to return to your original home. And we're not there. So what do we do in the meantime? Like, okay, Brad, great. Thanks for depressing us on 20 days before Christmas. But like, what do we do in the meantime? This isn't depressing. This is joy. Like, joy is the theme of the day. What do we do in the meantime? Well, first, before we talk about what we do, can I talk about what we don't do? So maybe I'll just use this, this uh, sort of made-up person called like uh, Aunt Martha and Uncle Billy. Okay, whatever. Here's what we don't do. We don't sit around like Aunt Martha and Uncle Billy in our lazy chairs and just say, oh, I'm just longing for glory. Oh, just can't wait for Jesus to come back and never do anything. Like, what a waste of life. That's not, that's not what the Lord calls us to do. Can we long for glory? Can we just want to be with Jesus? Yes, yes, but just to sit and sulk in depression waiting for that would be a waste of life. Another thing we don't do is totally isolate from Babylon. So you have these exiles in this place of Babylon. You don't totally isolate from Babylon or totally isolate from the ways of Babylon. I would argue that's unbiblical. And we're going to look and see why that is. So what do we do? I think the first thing we do as exiles is we acknowledge that God is sovereign over all. He was sovereign over the, the exile. We're talking about the literal exile of the Old Testament. And he's sovereign over 
you and me and our exile. Okay, Daniel chapter 2 told us that God was sovereign over exile. But if you look at Daniel, it's, God makes it very clear. He makes it clear in another passage of Scripture. Ezekiel is that other book of the exile, chapter 39, verse 28. It says, Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God, because I sent them into exile among the nations, and then assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations any more. God is sovereign over exile. He is sovereign over the exile of humanity, meaning you were born for a reason. God gave you the gift of life. You are here on purpose. And it's for his glory. But then there's also this thing of being individually exiled. Which could look different for a lot of us. Right? It could be that our sin has exiled us. Or it could be that someone else's sin has exiled you into a difficult situation. But first and foremost, what we, I want you to do is acknowledge that God is sovereign over all and that even in that difficult situation, whether it was your sin or someone else's sin, that you can look to God and say, you are good and your sovereign hand is in this and you have not left me or abandoned me. God is sovereign over exile. The second thing you've got to do while you're in exile is you've got to seek the good of those around you or another way I would put this, live life, love life, like get after it, enjoy this gift and seek the good of those around you. If you look in Daniel chapter 1 verse 3 and 5, I want to show you what happened there. Because I think in Midwest Christianity we've just skipped over this passage and the, and the way these guys reacted, okay? So check this out. Starting in verse Three, the king commanded Ashpenaz, God, the king who commanded uh, his chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. He changed their name. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Michelle, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. You ever heard of those guys? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He takes them. He trains them in the way of Babylon. And here's what you see, guys. Did you see any of... He changed their names. Did you see him arguing? Did you see him resist that? They didn't, did they? They didn't resist it. They submitted to their authority. They didn't oppose the decision. And this would go well with... We've taught on this before back in Jeremiah when Jeremiah says, hey, to, to the exiles in Babylon, seek the welfare of your city. Seek the universal flourishing of your city because within that flourishing, you will find your flourishing. These four boys did that. Even while in exile. If you'll look, um, they, were, they were consistent. They sought the good of those around them. They, they acted in humility. So they... Number one, we want to acknowledge God is sovereign over all. We want to seek the good of those around you. Number three, 
what I would say, what you do in the meantime in exile is stay faithful. And be courageous enough to be resolute when it's time. So we won't read it, but if you go on down in Daniel chapter 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 8 through 15, the king had a diet that he wanted these guys uh, to stick to. And Daniel went to the person in charge of him. He's like, look, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to eat this. But he wasn't a jerk about it. He was like, I tell you, because the guy was like, hey, I get it. You don't want to eat this. But if you don't and then you look scrawny, like I'm going to be the guy that's going to get killed. So Daniel says, hey, give us 10 days. Let us do this for 10 days. Let's do, let's, let us do our diet for 10 days. You come judge. If it's not better, then we'll do your thing. But he was resolute saying, I'm not going to defile myself. But he didn't do it out of, out of just pride and being a jerk. Christians, we can learn something from that. He did it out of humility. He didn't like flip tables and say, I'm not going to do this your way. I'm a Christian. Like he wasn't, he, he didn't follow God and was mad about it. You know what I mean? We know those people. Like I'm, you're a Christian and you're mad about it. While we are in exile, we've got to acknowledge that God is sovereign over all. We've got to seek the good of those around us, and we have got to stay faithful while we are in exile. But that still doesn't answer the question. Brad, that's good. Like, I get it. We're exiles. I'm in a home that I've lost. I'm away from a home that I've lost. I'm in a place that isn't my home. How do we get home? How do we get home? And here's what I'd say. Number one, you want to get home? Number one, start by admitting that you're in exile. Like, it, it needs to be a little bit uncomfortable in a place that isn't your home. Admit that you are in exile. Admit that all sin drives you out and exiles. That is a fact. All sin, the result of sin is exile. If you don't believe me, I'm going to give you a thing to practice this week. Go tomorrow, as you go to work, start stealing from your boss. Okay? Well, I don't work right. Okay. Um, start lying to your spouse on a regular basis and don't repent of it. You, you'll be exiled from that relationship. Eventually. Like all sin exiles it always has and it always will admit that you are in exile and then number two i would say quit trying to get yourself back to the garden quit trying on your own strength to get yourself back to the garden here's the deal some of you i know this you've longed to come out of exile your whole life and your effort to get back to the garden it, it manifests itself in different ways all throughout this room Okay, some of it manifests itself in experiences. You just think, I just got to experience everything I can possibly experience. Like that's the, the millennial thing, right? They're all about experience. I got to see this place, and then I got to see this place, and I got to see this place. It's like if I don't do that, I'll just never be full, right? Or, or if I do that, I will be full. Some of you, it's relationships. For some of you, it's, it's vices. I would, argue, I would argue for the addict, that thing you're seeking when you when you give in to what you're addicted to, that thing that you 
experience in that moment is what you're longing for in the garden. For some of you, it's religious performance and duties. Like that's your effort to get back to the garden. And we got to quit trying to do it on our own. We can never go home on our own. So we're going to quit trying to get back to the garden. And third, we are going to look to Jesus, who is the ultimate exile. Like Jesus was always an exile. He he came out and off of his throne. That's what what Advent means. Like he came to us. Luke 9.58, this is while he and while he was here, this is what he says about himself. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's the ultimate exile. He was exiled in his death. You can read an account of it in Hebrews, it'll be up there. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. Jesus also suffered where? Outside the gate. He was exiled in his death in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And then he was kind of, he really was exiled ultimately by the Father. He's on the cross and he cries out, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like God the Father exiled Jesus. Why? So that you and I would no longer have to be exiles. And that is the gospel that Jesus came to us to bring us out of exile. And we can come out of exile, but we can never do it by ourselves. We can never do it on our own. We can never perform enough to come out of exile. Jesus can do that, and he did that. And the result and the only way we can have joy is to grab onto that truth. And we're left here for a while. Christians, I'm talking to you, we're left here for a while to live for this short time in exile. And we can give a taste of this kingdom. We can give a taste of the garden to people and invite them home with us. And we do that through the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to receive communion And I want us to just really focus in as we receive communion on this idea that Jesus was exiled for us so that we could be brought in. Let's pray. God, from the beginning of time, you had a plan. We just, we, we could have never come up with this on our own. We just could have never imagined it. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for pictures and stories that point us to Jesus, that point us to our true state. So God, it's my prayer that everyone in this room will just admit that they are exiled and long to be brought in by the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.